please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture readings are from Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you to, down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is God's word. Well, we've completed our series on the core commitments of Westgate Church. In the next three weeks, there'll be freelance sermons. Then, uh, then we'll have the Life on Mission Conference, and we'll follow that with a series on the Gospel of Mark. So as I was contemplating what to preach this morning, I realized that the tragedy in Turkey and Syria was still weighed heavily upon me. So I thought I would try to address what we might be feeling in light of that and other tragedies. More than 50,000 men, women, and children died as a result of that earthquake. And this is just one tragedy in a continuum of countless tragedies that leads us to ask God the question, why? Why, if you are good and loving, do you allow such suffering? You know, I used to think I had a clever response to that by asking another question. I'd ask, well, if God placed humanity in paradise, who changed that? And I was hoping they would think about that and come up with the answer, we changed it. It's not on God, it's on us. It was our sin and rebellion against God that brought his judgment. And it broke this world and it has resulted in all the suffering and evil that we experience today. And that's true. But it doesn't comfort a broken heart. It won't bring heartfelt comfort to anyone feeling the sharp pain of suffering. So how should we respond to the question of all questions in a way that can bring comfort and draw people closer to God? Let's pray. Father, you are here and there are many hearts here that are in pain and do have questions. And we pray that you would minister to them today, to us today. But also you would prepare us to be faithful servants sharing your love to those outside our church this morning who are suffering in pain. We know only your spirit can bring home a rest and a trust in you. But we know your spirit uses your word, so lead us, guide us, teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When God was about to bring the Jewish people into the promised land, 
the people were terrified by a report about the mighty armies and the massive fortifications that they would have to go up against. And they looked at those and concluded, God hates us. He's left us out here to die at the hands of the Amorites. Moses heard the same report and he concluded, God is going to bring us a great victory. When a catastrophic event happens or something in our own lives goes terribly wrong, our natural response is to question God's goodness. We look at the circumstances and begin to draw conclusions about God. Instead, we should follow the pattern of Moses and look at God and draw conclusions about the circumstances. This morning, we are going to look at God. And we're going to see that he feels our pain. He did something about it. And he has an answer to the question, why? See, when we're in the depths of despair over the brokenness in and around our lives, we may think that God is immune to our pain. On the contrary, God feels it more deeply than we do. The God who knows when every sparrow falls to the ground and can count the number of hairs on our heads, he knows the agony of the human heart more deeply than we can imagine. Compassion is at the center of God's character. In Exodus, then the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfastness, love, faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. See, that's the inner nature of God. The God who holds all of history in his hands. We may wonder, how can a divine entity feel what we feel? He's an invincible deity. We are frail humanity. He's, he's too lofty to feel our pain. He can feel it precisely because he is God. And as God, he knows everything we think. He knows everything we feel. And he empathizes with us, even as a nursing mother empathizes with her baby. Isaiah 49. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. A nursing mother is more likely to forget her infant child than God is to forget you, to forget me. Now we should realize this not simply because God says it, but because God the Son became like us. He came to earth. He experienced everything we experience personally and profoundly in ways that we cannot fathom. Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He came into this world as we do. He frustrated his parents as a boy. He grew up under a cloud of shame due to the nature of his birth. His father died at an early age. He was defamed by religious leaders who called him insane and demon-possessed. He was loved by his followers, but they deserted him in his greatest time of need. He was unjustly tried, unjustly convicted, unjustly condemned. He lived his entire life under the shadow of death, knowing that the cross was always looming before him. He felt some of the greatest physical pain ever and felt the greatest spiritual agony ever. He was abandoned by God and he even questioned God. He even felt our personal sin because he bore it while he was on the cross. Consider something that has brought you pain and you can discover that Jesus has felt the same kind of pain, had a similar experience. When Jesus knew that a rich young man was going to reject him and walk away, Mark says, Jesus looked at him, the one who's going to reject him, he looked at him with love. When Jesus witness the grief of loved ones who, who lost their brother. He wept with them, knowing that he was going to bring that brother back to life in a few moments. He felt with them. And as he considered the judgment of those who would crucify him, he wept violently for them. Luke 19, and when Jesus drew near and saw the city, Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you. Surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus wept over that judgment. So these verses parallel human history. God wants to give us peace, shalom, life as it was meant to be, just as Jesus wanted Jerusalem to experience peace. But humanity rejected God, just like Jerusalem rejected Jesus. And so God had to judge the world in justice. And so God had to judge Jerusalem. We have the description of the suffering that would be caused. 
And as God judged our world, I believe he wept just as Jesus wept over Jerusalem. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit weep over our pain, whether it's caused by the brokenness of the world or by our own personal brokenness. He weeps as Jesus wept over Jerusalem. His distress is so great that he would do anything about it. And he did. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in should not perish but have eternal life. See, our compassion leads us to rush to the aid of, of those impacted by a disaster. Many go in person, others pour their money in to help. And God rushed in to our aid, not with billions of relief dollars, but something much more valuable, something invaluable, the very life of his own son. On the cross, Jesus suffered beyond anything that any human has ever suffered. See, we only have the slightest sense of his humiliation, agony, and pain by looking at his torture, crucifixion, and death. We grand, we grasp the brutality of Jesus. Isaiah 52 says this, the torture was so great, his appearance was so marred beyond human recognition. And his form beyond that of a child of mankind. See, we have a little sense of what he went through physically. We have no sense of what he went through spiritually. When his father abandoned him as our sins were placed on him, we hear it in his agonizing cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His suffering exceeds ours as infinitely as his knowledge and power exceeds ours. So why did he do it? He took the eternal suffering we deserved on himself so our suffering would not have to go on forever. He bore the penalty of hell on the cross so that we could have heaven forever. And he bore the curse of the world so that someday he could end evil and suffering. Tim Keller wrote, If we ask the question, why does God allow suffering and evil to continue and look at the cross of Jesus? We still have no answer. However, we do know what the answer isn't. It can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he's indifferent or detached from our condition. God takes our suffering and misery so seriously that he was willing to take it upon himself. So I don't know why 50,000 had to die in Turkey and Syria. Why God allows a brutal war in Ukraine or rampant terrorism in Africa or why if you've lost a loved one or stricken with a deadly disease or, or lost your job, I, I do know the Lord weeps with you. And I know that God has a reason. It's just beyond our comprehension. As Paul wrote, 
Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. I believe that one day God will show us a piece of life's puzzle that will put it all together. It's like seeing two ropes hanging from the ceiling and you pull one and the other moves and you can't understand why one is moving. How God's love can be attached to, to what the evil and suffering in the world. But if you go above the ceiling, there, there's a pulley there that puts them together. We never see it, but when you're up above the ceiling, you get to see it and it all makes sense. And I believe that's what God will do one day when we're with him in glory. He did it in the life of Joseph. As we read Joseph's story, we're, we're struck by the tragic series of misfortunes of his life, wondering why God would abandon a faithful follower like him. He had a dream that promised his brothers would all worship him, honor his leadership, and immediately the opposite happened. They beat him and sold him into slavery, and now he ended up in Egypt far away from where that dream should have been fulfilled. And though he was faithful to his master, a false charge from his master's wife led to his conviction and imprisonment. And though he was faithful to God, he languished in prison for years after he should have been released. So he's abandoned by his brothers who were supposed to honor him, abandoned by a master he faithfully served, and abandoned by a God he deeply loved. So why did this man of faith have to suffer time and again? And if Joseph's story, if our understanding of Joseph's story ended then, we would say, why God? But there was one piece that brought it all together. Pharaoh had a dream. That was the key that helps us understand God's love for Joseph in the times we would have doubted it. Joseph interpreted a dream and made a plan that saved the known world from famine. Even his brothers to whom he said, As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. How did an innocuous young man from Canaan end up giving credible advice to the most powerful man of the world in Egypt at the precise moment that the world's future hung in balance. Well, he had to be in Egypt. How did he get into Egypt? He was beaten by his brothers and sold into slavery. And he had to be credible. He had to be known that he could interpret dreams where was that known? When he was in prison. Meeting the cupbearer or the Pharaoh. And, and why was he accessible at the moment Pharaoh had the dream? Because he was still languishing in prison when he should have been released. Each of these moments of suffering made sense when one more piece was added, Pharaoh had a dream. Unlike Joseph, we rarely see the last piece that helps us make sense of it all. 
we're left to trust that God has that peace. One day he'll show it to us. So Isaiah must have had that trust because he accepted a call from God that made no sense at all. Preach, knowing that your preaching is going to harden hearts and bring the judgment of God. Who can make sense out of that? Isaiah didn't ask, why all the suffering, God? Isaiah accepted the call because he trusted God. And he trusted God because he had seen God's glory. He saw God. And as he saw God, he realized he was no God. He was a sinner. And he deserved to be condemned. And then he was showered with the grace of God and forgiven. When he had that experience, he knew he could trust that God. In the book of Job, we read about a righteous man who lost every possession, lost the lives of his ten children, all of his health in a series of tragedies. Job's friends came to comfort him, and they did all right for about a week because they were silent. And then it all went wrong. They opened their mouths. They tried to answer the question, why God allow, would allow such suffering in Job's life. And they failed miserably. Job himself asked God that question, why? I, I can endure this if I get the answer, why? You know, anyone who reads the first chapter of Job knows the answer to that question. We know why. Yet God would never tell Job why. He didn't give Job the reason. He gave Job himself. And when Job saw God and listened to God, he found rest for his soul. We can't give a specific reason for why God is allowing certain suffering. But we can offer God by sharing the compassion of Christ. We can weep with them and point them to the fact that God is weeping for them. And we can lead them to the foot of the cross where they will see the extent of God's love in the world's greatest tragedy in the world's greatest answer to the question, is God good and loving? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for yourself. We thank you for the cross that leads us to trust you no matter what. Lord, may we share that truth with others who are suffering. May your spirit lead them to the foot of the cross and to belief. In Jesus' name, amen.